Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to West Ends, whether you're joining us online or thankfully in person. We are happy that you're here. My name is Carolee. I'm actually the children's pastor here at West Winds. Um, so I may be a strange face to some, but I've been here a little while. So I'm really happy to be sharing with you this morning. Um, I'm talking about repentance, which is always a super fun topic to talk about. But I also uh, just wanted to give you a few quick announcements before I jump into that. The first one is today after church, uh, if you're interested, a few of us are going to Raleigh Lake to go for a walk around the Raleigh Lake uh, loop. So if you'd like to join us, just come talk to me after the service. Um, we are going to meet up there and then go for a walk around the lake. If you are not up for walking around the lake, it is a beautiful lake to sit next to and you are more than welcome to join us and just sit on the beach, pull up a lawn chair and sit back and sit back and relax. The rain is supposed to hold off at least until tomorrow, so it's a good chance to get some vitamin D and some fresh air. So, um, I also wanted to highlight that if you don't know this already, Good Friday and Easter are coming up. And the exciting thing is, at Easter, we do baptisms. And so if you are interested in being baptized, we want to invite you to talk to one of the pastors or even contact the office, and we can give you more information about that. Because that is an awesome step in our walk in following Jesus. Well, like I said, we are continuing in our series, Grounded, and today we're looking at the word repentance. And I find that repentance is kind of a tricky word when you're talking with people about it, because, is that me? What can I do to help that? Is that a bit better? We'll see. All right. If I need to switch, just let me know. Um... Repentance can be kind of a tricky thing because a lot of times when we think of repentance, a few different things come to mind. Sometimes we think it's just about saying, I'm sorry. Uh, sometimes we think it's all about shame and guilt. And the reality is it's not really supposed to be either of those things. Repentance is a much deeper and a lot of times a much more challenging thing to deal with than those things. And yet, in a lot of ways, it's much more beautiful and much more simple than we realize, and we overcomplicate it sometimes. We're looking at Joel chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 12 to 17. I'm starting at verse 12 and 13. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. These first two verses touch on the idea that repenting is just about saying you're sorry. Now, I don't know about you. Um, I've learned a thing or two about saying I'm sorry from when I was a kid, but also I've learned a few things now that I have kids. Um, if you don't know me, I can be a bit of a talker. Verbose is a good word for me. Um, and so I have a tendency with my kids uh, to over-explain things. Um, oftentimes when I'm dealing with discipline, uh, I'll hear, okay, mom, okay, okay, mom, I get it, I get it, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I know what that means, just be quiet, stop talking. <laughs> I will do whatever you need me to to stop you from talking. 
Um, but that's not genuine repentance. Um, we've also heard stories, and I'm sure many of us have done this before, where there's a situation where we've gotten in trouble for something. Maybe it, maybe it was a long time ago for you. Some of us, it might not have been that long ago. Um, but where we've gotten in trouble and we're just like, we just want to move past the situation, and we're like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, okay? Especially you get in a fight with someone, and you're like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, you just want to move past. But that's not really repentance either. Repentance is an understanding of the breaking of trust, the breaking of relationship with someone. And when we're talking about repentance with God, it's the same thing. It's this recognition that it has to do with the breaking of relationship with him. And it's not something that we can just say, oh, I'm sorry. It's something that we really have to take the time to examine our hearts. The verse says, rend your heart, break your heart, rip your heart open, not your garments. You see, in Jewish tradition, when they would go into mourning or weeping or even, um, should I switch out? Yeah, Yeah. okay. Just hold on, folks. Hello. There we go. A little bit of less snap, crackle, and pop. Um, Yes, Rice Krispies. Um, But in Jewish tradition, when you would repent, or it would even be for grief, you would tear your garments as a symbol of your brokenness, and you would put ash on your heads, and you would physically change. You would put on a show to show what was going on in the inside. But what was happening for a lot of people, and I would argue happens for a lot of us, we're comfortable putting on the show of being repentant, but we're not actually sorry for what we've done. We're not actually rending our hearts. Our hearts aren't breaking because we've broken God's heart. Our hearts aren't breaking because we've severed relationship with someone else. We're simply wanting to move past. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, okay? Just let's move on. I'm sorry, okay? And we're putting on this show to make it look like we're ready to repent. But in reality, our hearts aren't broken. They're not ready. Romans 2, 4 to 8 says, But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers, but he will pour out his anger on those who live for themselves. You have to understand the book of Romans is written to Christians. This is written to people. And it's, you know, Paul wasn't writing to to guilt people or to shame them. It was like to wake them up spiritually. It was like he was shaking them. Come on, wake up. And that's similar to what Joel is doing here. And it's similar to what we see in the other prophets in the Old Testament. It's a shaking awake. 
Just wake up. Stop pretending. Stop putting on the show. And when we talk about repentance, like I said, the tendency is to look at it and either feel like, okay, let's just move on, or else we feel shame. And that's the danger here, too. Even when you read these verses, verses 48 in Romans 2, you can start to feel like, oh, I'm just so awful. I'm so wicked. Judgment is coming. This, I'm just, but that's not what God wants either. He doesn't want us to feel ashamed. He wants us to have hearts that are wide open, broken open before him so that he can pour a life into us. And that's what's exciting about repentance. A lot of times we focus on the wrong thing. We focus on the shame or the guilt. And the reality is repentance is something that is supposed to turn us back to God. His love is so great, so amazing. It is what authentically draws us back to him. That is what authentically inspires repentance. If we think that our guilt and our shame, our self-criticism, beating ourselves up is what is going to turn things around, it won't. I can tell you from experience. I've been caught in my life in patterns of sin, patterns of behavior that have turned me away from God. I've been caught in patterns before, and I've worked hard on my own trying to correct them, thinking that I have to do better, I have to make this right, I have to be good, all these different things. But ultimately, it is God who brings transformation. The Holy Spirit's work in us is what transforms us. He is the one who does the work in us. But our hearts have to be open. We have to empty out ourselves. We have to empty out the things that we're holding on to to allow him to pour himself into us. And when we do, he begins to set us free. He sets us free. He breaks those chains and he brings wholeness and healing in areas that we've never seen Repentance is supposed to lead to life and hope and joy. And it sounds like such a weird thing to say that repentance is supposed to lead to the, all these good and amazing things. But that's what true repentance does. It leads to life. In order to get to that life, though, repentance needs reflection. We have to take the time to actually think of what we're repenting about. Otherwise, we're like, you know, a little kid just saying, I'm sorry. Okay, can we move on? Just stop talking. Just stop talking. We have to reflect on why we need God to forgive us, the areas that need to be addressed. And a lot of times that takes sitting quietly and being really honest with ourselves really honest about our attitudes towards God, really honest about our attitude towards other people. When I was looking this up in different commentaries, one of the preachers I was looking at, he said, a woman came to him one day after church, and she was crying, and she said to him, Pastor, Pastor, I need to repent. I need to, I need to repent. And so he sat down with her. She was visibly upset. And he sat down with her and he said to her, okay, so let's work this through. What do you need to repent of? And she said, well, I don't know. I've, I don't really know anything in particular. I just know I need to repent. And he said, okay, well, let's reflect on this a bit. And he started to go through 
the Ten Commandments. And as he went through the Ten Commandments with her, it seems so basic, but he went through the Ten Commandments with her, and she's like, well, no, I haven't really done that. And one by one, he went through them. No, I've never really done that. Nope, I haven't really ever done that. And it sounds really strange, like a strange act, uh, a, a strange reflection to go through to look at the Ten Commandments. But the interesting thing was, after I read that, I started going through it, and I thought, actually, it's a really good way for self-reflection, to do self-reflection. One by one, when you're talking about repentance, to reflect on the Ten Commandments. God, how have I, how have I violated these things with you? How have I turned my back on you? As I went through them myself, this is how I broke it down. How often have I built idols in my life? What are they? Having security, control, influence, pleasing people, trying to garner acceptance. How about the idol of self? Is my pride more important? Do I focus on myself and being right? How often have I taken God's name in vain? I talk the talk, but do I actually walk the walk? Do I still just do what I want, or do I actually do what God wants? Do I use his name casually? Do I use his word casually? Do I twist God's word to make it say what I want it to say? Have I ever neglected Sabbath rest? Do I overwork? Do I buy into the status of busyness? Do I participate in brain-draining activity instead of taking time to spend with God and with loved ones? Do I pause regularly to be renewed by God through connection with him? With others, do I know his peace? Have I been disrespectful to my parents? Have I been disrespectful to my elders? Have I neglected the responsibility I have as a parent? Have I treated family with disdain or disrespect or judgment? I will be honest, eye-rolling is not just for teenagers. Have I honored them in a way, the way that I speak about them and to them? Do I listen? Do I actually take the time to listen? Do I love them the way that God has loved me? Do I contribute to generational divides? Do I encourage connection? Have I expressed hate? or held back forgiveness to others? Have I appointed myself judge over others? Have I held on to bitterness? Is being right what's most important to me? I'll just remind you, this is all based off me just looking at the Ten Commandments, <laughs> just exploring it. Have I entertained lustful thoughts? Have I acted on those thoughts? Do I pursue deeper relationship with my spouse? Do I honor them when I speak to or about them? 
do I forgive and ask for forgiveness? Is holiness and wholeness my priority in my relationships, or is it happiness and pleasure? Have I cheated or stolen any item or position? Have I relied on God for what I need, or have I taken what I want? Have I been honest with those around me, about those around me? Have I lied about others or manipulated the truth to justify my opinion, my plans, my position, my worth? Is there any instance where I look at what others have with jealousy? I see their wealth, their status, their success, their relationships, and feel bitter or angry that they have what I do not. Do I question why I don't have that? Do I love God with all that I am? Or is it lip service, a show? Am I hedging my bets just in case? Is it my aim to obey him and honor him, to spend time with him and deepen my relationship with him? Do I love others the way that God has loved me without hesitation, qualification, speaking truth with humility and love when given opportunity to do so? And do I see each person as God's beloved child? Do I recognize the same brokenness and darkness that resides in the hearts of sinners can only be displaced in me because of the saving work of Jesus if I humbly recognize my need of his saving grace and the Holy Spirit's work in my life? Do I recognize that I am a sinner? Am I rending my heart? Am I breaking my heart open before God? Or am I just ripping my garments that's the question and it's hard I'll be honest like doing that that wasn't an easy thing for me to go through that list to be honest with myself and then to read it before all of you guys it's so vital though that if we want to have deeper relationship with Jesus we got to dig deep we got to allow him to expose the parts of our heart that we have even had hidden from ourselves. The things that we don't even recognize as our own weaknesses, our own temptations, our own vices. We have to be open to him doing that work in us. And in order for him to do that work in us, we have to turn to him and we have to lay everything on the table. Our hearts have to be open to him. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. You see, the reason for turning back to God, the reason for repentance, oftentimes, you know, over the years growing up, it would be guilt. You know, people would try and shame you into turning back to Jesus, or people would try to scare you into turning back to Jesus. There was all these different tactics. I can remember. I have this memory of my cousin telling me of a movie. I was too little to go, but it was like these scary movies in the 70s that came out to kind of try and scare you into going back to Jesus. And I remember her just telling me this story and being absolutely terrified and praying extra hard that night at bedtime. Those are not the things that create lasting faith. They aren't. As effective as they can be in the moment, the only thing that transforms us, 
to really lead us to true repentance is God's kindness and his love and his mercy. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. You see, what had happened to Judah, to Israel during this time is a calamity had happened. Swarms of locusts had come into the land, and they had eaten. They had devoured everything. And what Joel is writing about as we continue on is that calamity, and a calamity that is to come. And he's saying, that didn't just happen by chance. That locust army, he refers to them as an army, was God's army. And it was a wake-up call. It was to shake you awake. It was a consequence for your behavior, for your turning away from God. Allow it to wake you up and turn back to him. Because he loves you. He loves you so much, and he wants you to turn back to him. Sometimes it's tough to hear that God would um, punish us or allow something negative to happen to us in order to bring us back to him. But if you think about raising a child... My job is to keep my child safe. My child is to make sure they don't, or my job is to make sure they don't run into the street when we're going for a walk. Uh, my job is to make sure they're not playing with the stove. My job is to make sure that they get enough sleep, that they eat healthy food. My job is to keep them safe and healthy and strong. God is our loving Father. He's not just going to say, okay good luck. Have at her. I'm not saying every negative circumstance in your life is because you've done something wrong. It's not. Bad stuff happens. It just does. But there are times, this is an example of it, when bad stuff does happen to help wake us up. And you need to know that even in that moment, God is doing it in love. For Israel, he's doing it in love for them to turn back to him. And how do we know this? Because we're reminded, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Turn back to him. As much as he will use this to wake you up, turn back to him. You have to know that even, even if bad stuff just happens, there is nothing wasted with God. Nothing. He's not sitting there waiting to pounce on you and punish you or to be harsh with you. He is, his primary goal is to be in relationship with you. He will use whatever circumstance is in your life to draw you back to him because he loves you, because he is compassionate, because he wants what's good for you. And this isn't just a selfish love. This isn't, uh, well, I want to be in relationship with you, so I'm going to manipulate things. That's not how God is. You need to know that. 
God wants what is best for you. And what is best for you is to be in relationship with him. And he doesn't just want to stop the calamity. He wants to bring blessing. In verse 14, it says, Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings, drink offerings for the Lord your God. Repentance leads to hope for a brighter future. God's way is the best way. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring them together. The elders gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? This passage indicates that repentance means this is not business as usual. This isn't a rush-through moment. This is a, it's a pause-and-take-note type situation. It's a, come on, let's get everyone together. Let's deal with what needs to be dealt with. We need to pause and reflect. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like grief. It's this idea that you actually take time to recognize the need for it. You take time to come to God and turn back to him. In North America, in a lot of ways, Christianity has become a byword. We're associated with so many bad things. We really are. But the primary thing we should be associated with is hope and love. We should be uh, affiliated with things like peace and trust, trustworthiness. And instead, we become almost like a byword, almost like a joke. Ultimately, God's people are supposed to be a reflection of who he is and his love for the world around us. We're supposed to be a blessing to those around us. But that begins by turning back to him. And when we do, man, the promise is rich. It's called good news for a reason. And repentance, talking about repentance is uncomfortable. It's not an easy subject to talk about. But the thing that comes from repentance is new life and hope. Verses 18 and following say, Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people, and the Lord replied to them, I'm sending you grain, new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I will drive out the northern horde far from you pushing it into a parched and barren land. In the eastern ranks, the eastern ranks will drown in the Dead Sea and its western ranks in the Mediterranean Sea and its stench will go up. Its smell will rise. I found this phrase really interesting. When God starts to move on our behalf, 
when he starts to do good things, it's like overwhelming. Enemies, man, they are destroyed. <laughs> and I don't mean people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about temptation, sin, lack of peace, these things. When we start to turn our lives over to God, God moves. Those things, they die. They die so hard, the stench will rise. And that's such a funny phrase to me. And its stench will go up and the smell will rise. You need to know that when God starts to work in your life, when he starts to work out all the garbage in my heart and in your heart, it gets dealt with. The stench will rise. And you will be smelling pretty because you will carry the fragrance of God with you. His spirit will rest in you and on you. And people will see the difference. There will be life in you. Death will no longer be associated with you. Fear, mm. peace. Desperation, mm. hope. Hurt and hate, love and healing. That is the transformation that comes when we rend our hearts before God, when we really repent and his life rushes in like a flood and starts to heal us and make us whole. And then we can say, surely he has done great things. Don't be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, you wild animals, for the pastures in the wilderness are becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts, the young locusts, the other locusts, the swarm locusts, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders in you. And never again will my people be shamed. You see, when we really repent, man, shame does not have any power in our life anymore. It doesn't, because we live free. God sets us free from our past. There is nothing in your past he does not overcome. There is no sin that you have stumbled into that he does not restore you from, that he does not heal you and set you free from. Repentance leads to life not shame and guilt. Shame and guilt turn you away from God. When we turn to God in true repentance, it's like turning and facing the sun. Our lives are filled with light and hope. When we turn away in shame, our backs are to him, and our life is in shadow and darkness. Repentance turns to the sun so the sun can expose everything that needs to be stripped away. And then we can be set free. The interesting thing is when um, different passages in Scripture, I love reading it, when it talks about repentance and turning back to God, as awful as some of these things are, like you think about this huge plague of locusts that 
Joel is talking about here, the destitution that it brings. And, I mean, that's a lot of locusts. The great locusts, the young locusts, the other locusts, and the locust swarm. Like, it's just locusts upon locusts upon locusts. But he says, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have taken. I will give you richness and fullness. He says, the vats are going to overflow. Your life is going to be filled with good things. Turn back to me. The richness and fullness I have for you. And it ties in, you know, you think of all those verses that are so familiar. Joy unspeakable. Peace beyond understanding, faithful forgiveness, truth and justice, resilient hope, restoration and healing, love without end. And what's the promise? Then you will know that I am in Israel and that I am your God and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. When we live lives of true repentance, we don't know shame because our shame has been dealt with. Our guilt is gone. We live in the freedom of Jesus and we have hope. There is life. There, I don't even know how to articulate it in such a way that we would get it. And it's so important that we understand the life that God wants for us, the richness that he has for us, the goodness that he wants to give us. People get caught up and they're like, oh, you know, people will get into the different movements where, well, if you do this, then God's going to give you lots of money. If you do this, God's going to do this. Man, money is nothing compared to the goodness of God. Power, prestige, they are pale, pale shadows compared to the faithfulness of our God. The hope, the peace that he gives, the love they're nothing. Don't get caught up in those worldly things. Focus on God. And then we'll know that he is God. And there is no other. And we will never know shame. I'm going to close with a prayer. And it's based on scripture. Heavenly Father, we praise you. In your great mercy, you have given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your son. You have given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance you keep in heaven for those of us who through faith are shielded by your power. We praise you, Lord. Though now for a little while we may suffer grief and different trials, with you nothing is wasted. We ask that you use these challenges to strengthen and exhibit our faith, a faith of greater worth than gold. May our faith result in your praise, your glory, your honor, as Jesus Christ is revealed in our hearts and through our lives. Though we have not seen you, we love you. And even though we do not see you now, we believe in you and we trust in you. God, help us to trust you more and more. 
And as you do, fill us with an inexpressible and glorious joy that can only come from you, the result of knowing your grace and mercy and generous love that has been extended to us, saving us from our sin. Remind us again of the riches of life with you, the wholeness that comes from loving you and being loved by you. We praise you, God, and thank you. Amen. If we want to see renewal in our lives and in our churches and in our cities and in our countries, if we want to see God move, if we want to receive wholeness, to be set apart to God, repentance is the first step. Let our hearts be broken over sin and then let us celebrate the resulting abundant life that God's grace affords us in Jesus. I'm going to invite Emily to come back up just to play one more song. And as she does, I want to invite you just to reflect. I want to remind you, first of all, this isn't about shame. Repentance isn't about shame and guilt. Repentance is a turning back to God, a turning back to the light so he can shine on the things that he wants to work out of us so that Jesus becomes more in us and we become less. This is about life being poured into us and receiving all that God has for us. Take time to reflect. You need to know that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter where we've been. It doesn't matter what challenges we are currently facing or will face. His love never stops. There is no qualification. There is no limit to his love. And he wants us to be free. That is the reason we repent, is so that his freedom can be poured into us. But we have to turn back to him. So... If you'd like to um, take some time to reflect, I invite you to do that. Just know that you're loved. God wants deep relationship with you. And he's done everything he could to do that. I mean, he came. He came and died for us so that we could have relationship with him. He came back to life so that we could experience the life that he wants to pour into us. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. In your name we pray, amen.